Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. And today we're welcoming gut coach, Chelsea Haynes. Our topic is your gut or your life. And who is Chelsea? She's a certified gut health coach specializing in health optimization through gut health and the abundance mindset. She believes that with a healed gut, healing your mind and soul is inevitable. So welcome, Chelsea. It's great to have you. Thanks, Faye. It's an honor to be here. So let's just dig right in to this topic because I think lawyers don't necessarily make that connection between their gut and their health. So let's just talk Mm. about that. What is this? Yeah, so Hippocrates said it back, and we're just finally catching up with antiquity, I think, uh, when he said, all disease begins in the gut. And it's really interesting what science is now backing up and the studies that are coming out. We are really learning more and more and more that the gut-brain axis, so the actual connection between, uh, the physiological connection between nerve endings, between our belly and our brain, pretty much run the show. (laughs) That's a bit surprising. Yes. And it's really cool because we have learned a lot of a lot of things that we thought we knew to be true were not necessarily the case. And one example of that is we, for a long time, thought or believed that serotonin was primarily produced in the brain, which is why when we take antidepressants or other medications, their serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they primarily focus on the reabsorption or blocking reabsorption of serotonin in our brain. But the really interesting thing here is that we've learned that over 95% of serotonin is actually made in the lining of our intestines, literally in our gut. So the cool thing about this is that we've really had some big breakthroughs in the way that we can help manage emotional distress and, you know, anxiety and depression, specifically through healing the amount of dysbiosis that is happening at the source. So Rather than taking medication that's actually blocking the reabsorption of serotonin, which essentially is just allowing it to float around in our brain for more, for longer, we're actually healing where it's coming from and we're producing more of it and allowing it to kind of function more properly through our gut and our brain. So yeah, it's, and that's just one small example of the things that we've learned about the gut recently and studies that have been shown. And it's, it's really interesting once we start to implement some gut healing strategies into our life, which I know that we'll get into and talk about it in a minute, how we start to find our theoretical, hyperbial, and literal (laughs) flow again. So, uh, you know, I would love to disclaim for any, anyone listening here, if you're not having daily pain-free bowel movements, at least one a day, if not potentially even up to three and by, you know, pain-free and what I call the one wipe swipe, (laughs) then there's potentially something going on with your gut. And that's not necessarily something to fear or something to be stressed out about because that's not going to help the symptoms, but it is something to get curious curious about and to start digging into. And a health coach is a great first place to start. So I think what we have to do is get over our embarrassment about talking about it and really be cognizant of what is going on in our bodies and not just ignore it or think it's, you know, a temporary thing, or we can just put up with it, or maybe it's just something I ate. But when the symptoms are going on consistently over time, it's something to really pay attention to and and move from it. I think we just went over some of why it's important. Is there anything Mm. else that you would like to add? 
Yeah, I think it's one of those things where we don't realize, and, and we live in a society that praises the grind, right? We are rewarded for our lack of sleep and for how stressed we are and for how quick we can eat or how little we eat, uh, especially in high-performing, high-demand, and these are you know, this, I particularly work with high-performing women, such as attorneys, right? We, we are rewarded for all of our hard work, and I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. However, it is creating a chronic state of fight or flight. The central nervous response is now operating from an elevated state. And what a lot of healing is and why this is important in regards to the gut is that it's, it's about learning how to bring that baseline of health back to rest and digest, which many of us have never even really heard of. This is the parasympathetic response of the central nervous system. And this is really where our operating level should be. And, and I say should really just as, as a curious mindset and, and a, yes, Faye, you're exactly right. We, we have to learn to talk about poop without shame. <laughs> and I think doing that in a safe container with someone that you trust can be helpful. Uh, but you're exactly right. And, and because we live in this society that praises the grind and how hard we can push, how fast we can push, we really tend to ignore the symptoms of the body. And I'm more than happy to share a very vulnerable uh, personal share of why this is so important. My husband's father last year was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer in July, and he passed away in November. So three months, which is ironically also the length of my coaching program. So when you really look at the severity of how quickly your life can be taken, if you are really just unsure or, and, and when I say ignoring, it's not an intentional thing. There's no fault, right? There's no blame there. It's just that we haven't learned to be able to trust the signs and symptoms of our body as exactly that. The symptoms are a sign that there is something off. And if we get curious about it, rather than judgmental about ourselves and how we're living our lives, this is how we can start to dig deeper and excavate, you know, go spelunking into the depths of our body and our soul and our heart to ultimately live a fulfilled, happy, and long life. And, you know, the reason why this work is important is because if it's not done, then it, it could be over very, very quickly. And I've seen it a few times happen now. I think another important point is that even if it's not such a serious outcome, there's an ongoing, a constant sort of not feeling well, your body's not quite working with you, you don't feel good, there's the fatigue, constantly you're feeling that whatever you eat doesn't necessarily agree with you, you don't get the enjoyment out of life and your food the way that you could. So I think it's a really important thing to talk about and develop key skills about. So let's just talk about what can we do as we go through looking at how we're dealing with food, what can we do to start and improve that relationship? Yeah, it's a really good question, Faye. And you're exactly right. I mean, if we're not experiencing pleasure and desire and joy every single day, if it just feels like what I call an upstream current, then what's the point? And food is exactly one of those things. You know, food is not just a necessity, but it's also something that as humans, we are lucky enough to use not just for survival, but we can use food for entertainment or for sweetness in our life or for a vast majority of other reasons. And those reasons are all very unique and very personal based on your coping mechanisms to stress and the traumas you've experienced, as well as the mindsets you grew up hearing around body image and weight and food. So it's a very kind of in-depth conversation, but I think the best place to start 
is again, just getting curious. So you can't start healing if you're unaware that you're even sick. So allowing yourself to what I, the words that I use are kind of zoom out and step into the seat of the curious observer around your habits with food and how you're actually feeling while you're eating. So a lot of the healing process, of course, there is a logistical healing protocol that I work my clients through. And usually that involves eliminating dysbiosis. So whether there's parasites or yeast overgrowth or hormone issues happening, which by the way, all roots in our gut again. So whether you're menstruating or menopausal or perimenopausal, whatever it is, a lot of these things, or if you have chronic fatigue, these are all symptoms that there's something wrong in the gut. But to circle it back around, you know, really allowing yourself to get curious about your responses and your habits to the thoughts and emotions that you're feeling every single day. Because when we look at the hierarchy of our life, our habits are on the bottom, right? Our habits are what gives us our daily experience. The things that I'm doing every day are equaling what I'm experiencing every day. But where do our habits come? Our habits are fed from our emotions. Our emotions are what essentially are going to lead me to feeling the feels or numbing out. <laughs> Either I want right. to feel them or I don't want to feel them. And food is uh, definitely a coping mechanism for numbing out, for sure. Just like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? <laughs> All of the other coping mechanisms in our life. Above emotions are our thoughts. So what thoughts are are running through your mind every day and how are those feeding how you're feeling? What, is, what are the cycles that you're kind of just repeating, the stories that you're repeating in your mind? And we operate close to like 97% of the time in our subconscious mind. So this is why working with a coach can be really helpful because it's essentially a loving mirror to those stories in the mind. And it's someone to hold the mirror to say, hey, well, maybe there's a different option, or maybe here's a different perspective. Because if we don't dig into those thoughts, which give us glimpses into our beliefs, and our beliefs are where our identity actually lies, then it doesn't really work, right? The healing process doesn't really work. So it, the long answer to your probably <laughs> relatively short question was in order to start healing or shifting a relationship with our food is to slow down, sister, slow it all down, allow yourself to shift into the curious observer to the thoughts, patterns, and habits of your life. And then from there, you know, we can start implementing strategical or logical shifts to really help you manage the stress in your life. And it, really, that's a lot of what gut healing is, is, of course, there's something to be said to the physiological healing as far as eliminating dysbiosis and adding maybe some healing things as far as supplements, but that's not the first thing that we do. The first thing that we do is really, how are you coping with stress and how does that reflect in your relationship with your food? Who are you being while you are eating? And I think that you and I chatted about this the other day. I think it's a fundamental, important thing to state. And who we're being is so much more important than what we're doing. And it, you know, it's sort of a catch-22 because the doing is important. But I'll give you an exact example here. If I'm eating a dogmatically healthy food, a salad, but who I'm being is stressed out, on the go, sitting in traffic, anticipating getting yelled at by my boss, or going to you know, a stressful court case where there's a lot of situations out of my control, will I absorb the nutrients from that salad and eliminate any potential bugs or toxins that are potentially on the vegetables efficiently? Probably not. And that's because physiologically, when we are in a state of fight or flight, the sympathetic central nervous response, the first system to shut down is digestion. 
Because if we think about it, if I'm running from a tiger, I need my heart to be pumping. I need my eyes to be dilated. I need breath to be short and quick. I need my muscles to be tight so I can run really fast. My body is literally not worried about digesting the food in my stomach. <laughs> that's for after maybe I can turn around and kill the tiger and eat it later, right? <laughs> but that's why it's done you know, by the campfire with your family and after hours of like calming down. So the same goes with maybe a potentially dogmatically unhealthy food. And I say dogmatically because I think one of the really important things to know in regards to food is there's no food that's inherently bad or good. So shifting how we explain food maybe as nutritional versus not nutritional can differentiate those two different foods. So it gives us the power back when we are using those foods for different things. If I want to enjoy some sweetness in my life, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a piece of cake. But if I have the power in me to know mindfully that that's what I'm doing in the moment, I'm a lot less likely to black out and eat the entire cake. And I'm a lot more likely able to enjoy the piece of cake that I'm eating. And I will more likely be able to break down the components of that cake, absorb any potential nutrients that are in it and, you know, process the sugars and eliminate the rest. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot deeper question. It's very individual, but I think something that we can take from this right now is to start slowing it all down and begin to observe your, hab your habits around food. Can't so mindfulness is basically what we're talking about here is we're getting into the state that we should actually be paying attention to what our body is doing before we just sit down to eat or to rush through our meal. We can then think about it, process it, be curious about what we're feeling. And then we might be tuning into some of the things that we've been ignoring about what are, is going on in our day-to-day -day life. So if we start there, what would be a next step that we would want to take? We've, you know, we've, thought about it. We've listened to this podcast. We're now much more aware. We're yes. curious and we're being mindful about taking the time to eat the food. So what do we do? Yes. So as far as promoting optimal digestion, you know, and that's really what we're going for. And you know, my tagline is trust your gut and digest your life, right? So digesting not only your food, but also your life experiences. But when it comes to optimal digestion, when you're actually sitting down to eat, there's a couple of things that you can literally do <laughs> while you're eating to help. And the first one sort of very much in line with that mindfulness and that's deep belly breathing. So what I offer to my clients are either two different breaths, but one that uh, seems the most appropriate when it comes to digestion is called belly breathing, three-part belly breathing. And essentially, you can practice it by laying down on the floor. I find that, that you're completely new to diaphragmatic breathing. That can be helpful. And you put your hands on your belly. And it often feels counterintuitive if you've never tried it before because we're so uh, habituated to breathing into the top portion of our lungs in our chest. But by breathing into our low belly, it's kind of like pouring water into a cup, right? It fills up from the bottom up. So if you can imagine our breath as the water and our lungs as the cup, we want to start at the bottom up. So with our hands on our belly, as we breathe in, we can feel our belly push out like a balloon. This is also counterintuitive for a lot of women because we've been so societally trained to pull our belly in and stick our boobs out, right? Chest out, shoulders back, belly in, <laughs> which is great if you're like marching <laughs> in a marching band. But if you're trying to relax and optimally digest your food, it's, it's really counterproductive. So hands on the belly, as you breathe in, you can actually feel your belly fill up like a balloon, pushing the belly out. The second part then is the theoretical cup fills up as your ribs expand. And then lastly, the collarbones expand or you actually feel the top portion of your chest fill up. So it's one, two, three from the belly all the way up. 
I always recommend pausing at the top for a couple seconds, which again, if your central nervous system is really on overdrive, start gently because holding your breath at the top can feel almost stressful at first, mm -hmm. uh, but it's sort of like a backdoor trick in the, to the parasympathetic response of rest and digest. And then as you exhale, it's going to be the opposite. So like you're pouring the water out of the cup, it starts from the top down. You can exhale gently out of the nose, preferably starting with the shoulders relaxing and then the ribs pull in. And then very lastly, the belly pulls in. So how long so, should this take to, to breathe in, pause and breathe out? So it's, it's relatively quick. It's probably, it, it's a three second inhale. One, two, three, hold at the top for maybe three seconds or four seconds, and then slowly exhale. And the intention on the exhale is that it's longer than your inhale. If you're brand, brand new, I would recommend like maybe a three, four, four. So inhale for three, hold for four, slowly exhale for four seconds. The more advanced you get, you can build up to a, a five, five, seven. So then you're inhaling for five seconds holding for five seconds and exhaling for seven. It's a little bit more advanced. Now, if you've ever practiced yoga or deep breathing, you probably could hit five, five, seven relatively quickly. But again, if you're brand, brand new, start slow with maybe and, three, four, four. And how many should we do? At least three. Three rounds is typically what I recommend. And you can probably feel a shift. If you don't feel a shift after three rounds, maybe do a few more. But typically after three really big, deep belly breaths, you can almost energetically feel the central nervous response shift from like the typical eight or nine all the way down to maybe a four out of 10. That's kind of what we're going for. And we do this before we start eating. Before, during, and after, for sure. So this is the second tip that you can do while you're eating for mindful eating, and that is to put your fork down in between bites and chew your food 32 times. <laughs> Whoa, that sounds like a lot. Of course it does, because say the average chew, believe it or not, is three. Chew, 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 swallow. I can believe now, that. Yep. Yep. And typically during that time, we've got our fork prepped and ready and already, you know, the helicopter is hovering <laughs> to dive into our mouth the second that we swallow. And I always give this vision for my clients to help remind them to chew. And that's our stomach doesn't have teeth. Very good point. Di yeah. Digestion starts in our mouth with our saliva, the enzymes in our saliva. And, and if you have chronic dry mouth. That's also a symptom of chronic stress. You want your mouth to be really wet and ready to go for your food when you're eating. And your teeth, your teeth are tools to help really break down your food. And not only does that help then your stomach, you're setting your stomach up for success because the acid in your stomach is going to then do the rest of the job from there, but it's applesauce consistency. So, you know, if you can imagine with your mouth, you don't really need to chew applesauce or mashed potatoes. And that's what we're going for, for our stomach. You know, we're trying to get our food most efficient to break down and digest. But secondarily, your mouth is also the place where you're going to be able to fight off bacteria or again, parasites. So these are the things that we don't necessarily want in our gut. And the more we chew our food, the more likely we are to kill or break down any potential uh, harmful things that could go into our GI tract and create dysbiosis. So chewing 32 times to applesauce consistency. And 32, I, I think it's an Ayurvedic number. I don't exactly know where that number came from, but believe it or not, most foods you can chew 32 times. So it's a fun thing to start incorporating at the dinner table with your friends or family. It turns into a fun uh, conversation starter and trick. <laughs> what about the hunger and fullness scale? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the hunger and fullness scale is something that I do intimately with my clients. It's a very 
personal scale, but I think it's something as well to start bringing the awareness to when we are hungry. So honoring hunger and honoring fullness, especially as women is extremely important. So really throwing out the window, any preconceived concepts of I have to eat at certain times of day and really allowing ourselves to come back to that intuitive eating in the sense of I want to eat foods that give me energy. I want to eat until I feel satiated and satisfied. And I'm going to do it when I'm hungry, no matter when that is, because that's a sign of the body. So building out your personal signs of hunger. And oftentimes when I start with clients, they say, oh, well, you know, I think when I'm starting to get hungry, I usually feel this like rumble in my belly and I, and I realize all of a sudden now I'm hungry. And then before you know it, I turn hangry we've probably ignored the first few signs that your body's becoming hungry because again, we've learned to ignore these symptoms in the body as just, I don't know, whatever we've learned that they are. Uh, so we've missed those first few signs. Maybe it's What are those signs? Well, they're very unique and they're very different, but some examples could be, if you picture like a gas tank, when I'm at half tank going to empty, maybe the first sign is a thought about food. Hmm. I wonder what I'm going to have to eat in a little while. Maybe that's a sign that I'm about half tank. When I drop a little lower, maybe I'm at a four out of 10. This is when I start to maybe feel a little headache or you know my mouth starts to water. Maybe when I go a little emptier than that, I'm at a three. Now I can start to feel it in my stomach or maybe it's this empty feeling or gurgling or a feeling in my throat. You know, Again, it's very unique for different people and the symptoms, uh, the signs come at different stages, but those are a few of the more common ones headaches, emptiness feeling, a thought about food. Uh, and then once you get down to the red zone of your empty tank, you've, you need to be eating at that point. You never want to get to that point where we are hangry or heaven forbid, you know, having low blood sugar and about to pass out. We want, we want to avoid that at all times. So, you know, in the healing process, we really learn about avoiding the blood sugar roller coaster and keeping ourselves kind of at this state of Yep. I need to prepare for food when I'm at a four on the hunger scale and make sure that I'm eating at a two. So I never get below that. And the same goes with fullness. So, you know, I always say we all know that moment when we are eating our food, where if, if I eat two more bites, I'm going to have to unbutton my pants. At that point, we've probably already gone a little bit too far. We're probably already at an eight at that point out of 10. A nine or 10 is just discomfort. And then a 10 is like way, way, way discomfort. We want to eat to about a seven and then allow ourselves to choose, all right, if I have one or two, two more bites, I know I'll be done. So really tuning into your own signs of what that feels like in your body, really aiming for um, you know, another tactical tools, the 20 minute meal. So again, just really slowing it all down, breathing between bites. It takes 20 minutes for your brain to process that there's food in your gut. <laughs> so really giving yourself the time to process that food. And then lastly, every time you eat, you know, if you're going for nutritional foods and wanting to make sure that you feel full and satiated all day is you can eat all the elements of the magic plate. That's protein, fat, and fiber combined with every snack, meal, or shake that you eat. So if you're missing one of those elements, you're probably going to be hungry again in a little while and wonder why. What is excellent examples of fast protein? Fast protein. So if you are a vegetarian, you can have uh, legumes, beans, lentils, quinoa. And if you are not a vegetarian, uh, poultry and fish and beef, pork, you know, anim animal protein. And I always say you, if you do eat animals, which I do, uh, and based on your blood type determines a lot of whether animal protein works well for your body or not. The older your blood type, the more well you do on animal protein, uh, like O, O blood types. 
I always like to say, eat happy animals. <laughs> eat happy animals that lived a, a joyful, sunshine-filled life and trust your body. If your body likes it, go for it. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I do in the secondary uh, benefit to working with me as a health coach is we, feed, we heal your physical body, really help you learn how to trust your intuition again and trust your instincts and uh, trust what your body is telling you. We've been so chronically learned to outsource our knowledge and, and I help you insource your knowledge. Thank you so much, Chelsea. We have learned so much about food today, our food hygiene. Chewing food to applesauce, a bit challenging. Rest and digest, what our relationship with food looks like, what foods can give us energy, our hunger and fullness scale, and the two three-part belly breath. Phenomenal. Thank you very much, Chelsea. And anyone who wants to get in touch with Chelsea can reach her at chelseahanescoaching.com. Her Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.